This is CliffCentral.com. Back to the bounce show. It's Monday. Yes, I know it's a public holiday, but sport does not stop, and I'm sure your interest in it doesn't stop either. So I'm not taking any day off today. Welcome to it. It's the bounce show with me, Ben Karpinski. What a super interesting long weekend it was for sports. But as as usual, as a Proteus fan, we've got bugger all to celebrate. We've got bugger all, nothing, absolutely squat. Kind of like if your parents don't love you, you never got Easter eggs. That is essentially where the Proteus fans are right now. And it's a bitter pill to swallow because it's just the same script, different year. I mean, it's just, I spend quite a bit of time trying to digest all of this. Uh, I'm, at the moment, I'm writing for an Indian website, uh, which, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, and I'm writing reviews of these matches, right? I'm trying so hard to kind of like stay normal, stay like a fan, but I just can't help but be fiercely objective and just say how cuck the Proteus team really is. I know T20 is a game where the margins are really slim and uh, there's a good chance that you can be the better team on the day, but then a couple of things will happen and suddenly you're out, you know, and maybe that's the case here. Maybe it is because we beat Afghanistan really well, but Afghanistan beats West Indies and they pushed England really far. And those are the two teams that are going through. But I don't, I'm just so tired looking for excuses. I'm so tired of being a fan who is looking for mathematical chances for his team to get anywhere. It, it really hurts. And I know if you're a Proteus fan too and you're listening, I know it hurts as well. So I've got a couple of songs I'll play a bit later to kind of get you through the, the heartbreak. Don't worry. It's not fireball. It definitely isn't fireball. Oh, I hate that. I hate to keep playing it on, on Supersport as well. So it's been a tough weekend in that respect, but cricket wise, very, very cool. And obviously the big deal was, um, West Indies losing to Afghanistan yesterday. They chose not to play Chris Gale. And again, like, I know the game didn't essentially mean anything. West Indies needed 101 runs to top the group, and they got that, so it wasn't too difficult. But it's just cool. It's just cool seeing upsets. It's cool seeing teams that are willing to try different things, getting good results. And uh, I'm, I'm all for it. It's, it was a good sight. So that was like my sort of slight consolation. But anyway, full show as usual today on this Monday. I don't even know what this public holiday actually is in this country. It's Easter Monday or it's got some other name. Public holidays mean very little to me, you know, because again, sport doesn't end. Got a lot of headlines coming up. I've got uh, an interview with my Indian contact, uh, Jigar, we're going to chat to in a bit. He is from the website I've been I've been writing for, uh, First Post, and interesting guy. So we're going to get a first-hand sort of account of what's happening in India right now. Then I've got a feature about should Russell Domingo go? And uh, I know the answer is, of course, fuck yes, right now, yesterday. But I just thought I'd, I'd try to balance a couple of stats to see exactly what he's done since taking over. And uh, on top of that, you've got your weekly Super Rugby wrap. So there's lots to get into for that. So we're going to get to the headlines. First, I'm going to play some of those dramatic scenes, joyous scenes of Afghanistan celebrating with the West Indies. Gal's enjoying it too. He's got into the celebrations. He's saying to them, well played. You deserve to win. You're better than us today. And good to see you taking on our championship. It's time for a selfie as well. And this is really what the game is all about. Scale. Congratulating the Afghanistan players. They were better on the day. And they will cherish a special moment for Afghanistan's cricket. Really showing the class. Well, definitely. Uh, good for them too. And you think like all these these lesser teams, so to speak, as far as the ICC see them, they just need these wins. But they're not going to be in the, in the next World Cup. It's been decided already. So, you know, there were tweets going around yesterday, like, it's so great that Afghanistan won their last ever international match. <laughs> it is sad. But just so cool showing that there is depth out there. And it just also shows how you can win where you in cricket. Like, what the Proteus keep doing, something is severely broken in that whole mix. It's just that, like, defeat is almost an, like an inevitable kind of thing. Anyway, I don't want to get too much into that. Let's just look at the scores. Let's look at the matches from the weekend itself. So Friday, um, starting off with Australia versus Pakistan. Now, the two of them were quite well placed in that if they won their remaining games, they could still very much make through to the quarters. New Zealand have already topped that group in Group 2. 
Uh, so they were done and dusted. They won three out of three. So it was a big match. And uh, Australia, well, they kind of put the big match shoes on. 193 for four they got in their 20 overs. Shane Watson was particularly good, giving himself some room. And the Pakistani bowlers just kind of kept feeding him, really. Feeding him up, and he got many, many runs. He got a good 40-something of very few balls. And uh, Pakistan, well, in what could be Shahid Afridi's last match, uh, I think I'm. that's like the eighth time I've said that. You know, he's he goes in and out of retirement like Elton John in his wardrobe. Anyway, it didn't actually work out, uh, sadly, for the for the Pakistani fans. It weren't enough runs. 172 for eight, all out there. All out of the tournament, essentially. Uh, not enough wins. And Australia, with that win... Made them fight another day. But the match after that was South Africa versus the West Indies. Uh, ugh, I really don't feel like getting into this. Um, West Indies won the toss. They chose to chase. That's what they like to do. They've got the team that they're back to do that. And they know all they have to do is just stifle the batters up front with uh, variation, which they definitely did do. Um, the spinners were really good. Uh, the big trump card here was the fact that they actually played Chris Gale as the spinner, which makes a lot of sense when you consider that South Africa has a lot of left armers, left-handed batsmen in their top order. So three out of the top six left-handers. And uh, Chris Gale accounted for two of them. He just absolutely beats um, Miller. All ends up with a sharp turning delivery. Riley Rousseau thought he could cut something. Ball stuck in the pitch, spooned it at the point. And uh, it was just a, d- a dreadful batting performance, really. 122 for eight. It was just signs of always in the must-win situation. We've, we've seen it before in, in various tournaments. This is the time the batsmen need to come together. The batsmen were firing this tournament. They were doing so well. I know the Nagpur pitch was was very shitty for any form of cricket, least of all free-flowing T20s. But no excuse, really. 122 for 8. Some of the wickets are very soft, starting with the first one with that needless run-up between Umler and De Kock. Those two have been so good for the Proteas in this tournament. It was just a needless display of nerves or whatever it was. So the West Indies made pretty heavy weather of the, of the chase. Uh, all credit to Panhiso and, and Tahir. They combined beautifully, which gives give you the suggestion that no, no matter what the pitch is, I think spinners have a massive role to play in T20 cricket, and the two of them should be playing together, Have to, should have from the start. You know, just think if that England match, we just needed a couple less seeming overs to go for many, many runs. Panhiso could have been that guy. Could have, would have, should have. It's like that with always with the aftermath of the Proteus. Anyway, I'm starting to sound bitter. West Indies won that one by three wickets. They had enough runs in the end. Proteus couldn't defend 20 of 12. They go through. They top their pool. Hooray, hurrah, hurry. Yeah, after that, uh, New Zealand had the final match um, of their thing. They were playing Bangladesh. And they were looking quite shaky with the bat, but eventually got to 145 for eight. And uh, rolled Bangladesh out for 70. The Bangladesh, in my mind, are just as disappointing as Zimbabwe or other sort of uh, teams. Sure, they've won a few games here and there, but they just, you know, look at a team like Afghanistan. And I wish they actually had the chance to play Afghanistan in this in this knockout stage because I think they've really superseded them. They're definitely more entertaining to watch, and I think they definitely need as much recognition and status as the Bangladeshis do. Anyway, England, they need to win. Uh, after South Africa lost to West Indies, England needs to win this, basically, and then they went through. Their game was against Sri Lanka, and a bloody good match it was. England posting 171 for four. Josh Butler was particularly good in the, in the death there. Really good find he is for England. And uh, Sri Lanka, they looked so good at one stage. Andrew Matthews at the crease, and um, unfortunately, he just ran out of partners. 161 there, so came to, and they're 20 overs. So England go through just like that. And then yesterday's game, Afghanistan, they restricted the West Indies to 117 for 8, and they were only chasing 124. Everyone just combined for a beautiful team effort there, and uh, it was quite something to watch. So that was that, and then the big results match of the weekend was Australia needed to play India, and the winner goes through. Well, uh, there was a lot of controversy around the pitch, and we'll chat to Jigo about that in a second, but um, was it the changing of the pitch to suit the, the Indian conditions? Well, it didn't really look it. Australia, I thought, posted a pretty good score of 160 for six. But Virat Kohli, wow, what an absolute player. Just incredible, incredible talent. He got them through. He scored a tremendous 80. And with that, five balls to spare. India won by six wickets, and they go through. So just to quickly run you through the rest of the headlines ever so quickly before we get into our full cricket feature, because it was also a pretty good weekend of... um Football matches, uh, Bafana Bafana, uh, unfortunately they're not looking so good in the, in the AFCON, uh, group, group M, uh, they are, well, they're in third. Uh, Cameroon, they drew with Cameroon 2-2 over the weekend, and despite a 
wonder goal from Klompek Kane, which has already been kind of suggested as a sure thing for the Pushkas Award. Now, I just discovered what the Pushkas was this, this morning. Essentially, it's an award given out for the most beautiful goal of the year. So, I mean, I don't see Bafana doing much else this year, but if we can get a Puskas award, sweet. Good luck, Lompo. I mean, it was a beautiful strike. It was inside his half, the keeper was off his line, absolute dream strike, and away it went. But bang. 2-0, sorry, uh, 2-2 in Cameroon. Decent result, but they need more than that. Uh, do Bafana, they've got two draws and one loss so far. Tomorrow, they play Cameroon back in Durban, so that's a 7 o'clock tomorrow, SA time. Maybe they can kind of come right there and get up in the in the league. Sorry, in their group, uh, Mauritania, as I said, they're in second place on six points. Cameroon on seven, SA only on two. There were international friendlies taking place in Europe as well. England versus Germany, big match there. Leicester and Spurs essentially beating Germany 3-2. Portugal went down 1-0 to Bulgaria. Netherlands 2, France 3. Fantastic match that was. And then earlier in the weekend, Italy versus Spain. A 1-1. World Cup qualifiers in South America, Brazil 2, Uruguay 2, Peru 2, Venezuela 2, Chile, Argentina. Argentina getting the win, 2-1. There was also amazing golf yesterday of the weekend. It was the WGC Dell match play. So, of course, it's very different to the stroke plan that you're playing mano a mano, so to speak. Man against man, hole for hole. And Louis Oosthuizen did so well. He beat Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson in one day. He made it into the semis. He beat Cabrera Bayo. And then he got into the final against Jason Day, the unstoppable Jason Day. Unfortunately, lost five and four. Jason Day now world number one in golf. Louis Tazen goes up to number 11, which is a big jump for him, which makes him the top South African because Brandon Grace is number 13. The Masters is two weeks time. So not this weekend, but the next weekend. What a fascinating golfing weekend we got. Next week, we will be previewing the Masters with my good friend Barry from Golf Digest which will be another huge feature in itself. So that pretty much is all the headlines and the things you need to know about. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, a Belgian cyclist died. It wasn't so cool. There was a boat race, but ugh, boat races. So let's get into the cricket, I think. Um, we're going to intro Duncan Will good on the call. As always, my dedicated producer of the show, he's here. This whole studio is an absolute ghost town today. There's nothing else really happening. But yesterday was a tremendous, tremendous um Ah, oh, fuck. I seem to have lost the video I was going to play for you. Really, really incredible feature was Virat Kohli. And uh, what an incredible player he is. And to think that his average as a finisher is literally second to none. No one comes close to beating this guy. And India's hopes really are kind of weighing on him. I mean, yesterday they lost a couple of wickets. There was some really irresponsible shot making from the top four outside of Kohli yesterday. And guys were just playing like it was just your general IPL match. No, we weren't exactly playing like it was an all-at-stake match. So, Kohli came together with uh, Yuvraj Singh. Yuvraj sprained his ankle, but, you know, he still hit a couple of fours. And then Dhoni at the end. And it was an incredible result, considering that Australia are pretty wily. They've got some good seamers. They definitely know what they're doing. And they tried their best to curtail India. But Virat Kohli, the great thing about him, and this is why I think I can say with all confidence that he is a better player than A.B. de Villiers, is that he just seems to sign up situations so well. With A.B., it's becoming shit or bust with that guy. It's just that he knows... One way, it's like, yes, I'm hugely talented. Yes, I'm probably the most talented cricketer in the entire world. But he's not taking his team over the line. It's because it's just, he's playing all these grandstand shots. And his composure seems to have just gone in all formats of the game. And I'm not talking test cricket, where he seems to have lost the bottle. In the limited overs too. You know he's the kind of guy who's capable of like getting 70 of 30. But we really need a bit more than that. And I think Cody's just showing that it isn't always just about the flash and the bash. It's pretty much about doing the best for your team, and he is definitely the best for his team right now. There can be only one man tonight, the player of the match, Virat Kohli, for his 82 of 61 balls. Well done, Virat. I've been watching cricket for a long time. This was something very special. Well, thank you. Um, firstly, I would like to thank the crowd for coming out here and supporting us. I think the support was unbelievable. They they help you um, push through those tough times and... You know, this, as I said, this is what you play cricket for. You need new challenges in every game, but trust me, you don't, you don't like these situations too much. They improve you as a cricketer, but I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't really know what to say right now because I'm, I'm overwhelmed by uh, the position we were in and then, you know, to take out the match, I think UV strung in a good partnership and then MS in the end kept me calm. I could have gotten overexcited, so I think it was a wonderful uh, team batting effort and I'm um, very happy we crossed the line. So that was it, Virat Kohli. Virat Kohli is, well, you know, you can wax lyrically about this guy all day, but right now we've got Jigar Mehta. 
So, Jigo, uh, thanks for joining us today. You are a man on the ground in India. How, what, what did you think of that performance yesterday? Totally predictable, right? Yeah, actually, uh, when Australia Australia uh, chose to bat first, that time it became predictable. <laughs> so they knew that they had the chase master in, and still they opted, opted to bat first. So it was it was it was uh, it was predictable that Kohli will chase this down. He's he's in absolute absolute brilliant form while chasing. He's been he's he's at another level. And uh, hello to the South African viewers. This is Jigar here from India. I've been covering cricket uh, and other sports for first post sports. So good to talk to you, Ben. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. I mean, it's been a great pleasure writing for the site you're involved in throughout the tournament. Uh, I've been sharing the links, and by all counts, people seem to be using it as a as a platform. Just getting back getting back to Kohli briefly now. Like, uh, there's been something that's okay. As you know, I support the Proteas. I'm a South African, and in many ways, Avi de Villas has been something that we've been so proud of for so long. But the more I watch Kohli, the more I realize what a complete batsman really is. Like, with all the Indian matches so far, and like there's some teams that have been getting into the 200s, and we've been expecting these massive run fests. But India has played on some pretty sticky wickets. But just the class of Kohli right now, he's assessing things beautifully. You watch him as he plays his first, his first 20 balls, right? You've barely yeah. noticed the guy, but he's got 21, 22 runs. He hasn't even done anything yet. This is something I feel is so lacking in a guy like Obi de Villiers right now because he's not sure what he's doing. Is he the big game finisher? Is he the big player? Kohli just says, right, what's the team situation? And he plays. Is that something that you, th- you think is a fair sort of um, summation of, of who he is as a cricketer if you're at Kohli? Yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the thing is that he, he works really hard. He, after every game, in every practice session, in every net session, he, he is, his, his discipline is absolutely superb. And, and it can be seen on the pitch. After every game, when you hear it, it's like, uh, you're, you're gaining some knowledge out of it. He, he, he understands his game really well. You know, uh, he, he's that sort of a guy who will, who will pick out smallest of mistakes in his innings and then go back to his dressing room. Work out all night and correct it and come back again and he won't commit that mistake again. And, and yeah, that's what he, he's, he plays cricket like, like he's playing a chess game. Like he, uh, while he, cha- while he's chasing the innings, uh, he has, he has this strategy developed in, inside his mind before he comes out to the game and then he plans accordingly. And it's, it's, it's absolutely, uh, mind-boggling how he how he pulls off this these kind of chases in in pressure situations and that's that's uh, that's one of the greatest qualities that he has. But it's it's really incredible. You think like T Twenty cricket, people make a lot about the fact that you can just stand and deliver. You know, like Brandon McCullum, Chris Gale. You know, everyone gets so caught up in the fact that that's what the game's about. And I think again. Why I love what Kohli is, what Kohli is doing right now is he's almost bringing like a test match kind of atmosphere towards what's going on. You've got to be a hard taskman. You've got to actually work things out. And this is why he's just a cut above. I mean, his average in T20 cricket, no one comes close, but yet he's still striking at like 130, 140 in these big matches. But the big question here, and this is what I want you to answer for me is, if yeah. he, were, if he were to fall, what's your confidence level in India pulling through w- with the bat, whether it be in the chase or the post? Because Right now, you know, Rohit Sharma for me is not doing what he what he should. I and mean, there's a prolific talent yeah. who's never kicked on. Shikhar Darwin, I can't quite trust. And then Rayner, well, he just got a ball short. It's it's almost too comical how easy it is for him. What, what, yeah. do, you th- what do you think is going to happen if if Cody was to perhaps not not perform? Yeah, it's it, it's like uh, it's like rolling back into the ni- 1990s where where you had hope until Sachin Tendulkar was there and this this is the same kind of a thing right now uh, you can see that uh, yesterday when i was watching the match with my colleagues so when uh, raina get, uh, got out one of my colleagues told uh, that uh, okay the match is over now but uh, what i said is until kohli is there you have that hope and yeah. and yeah you can keep that you you he he's given you so many moments like this that you have to keep that hope that yes kohli is there and they can win the match from any situation. But when he departs, then it becomes a little bit tricky. Because Dhoni of old and Dhoni of new, has uh, there's a lot of difference now. He's, he's not been uh, to, up to his best. And yeah, uh, the main dependency is on Kohli. And that's uh, an advantage for India. And that's a disadvantage for India also. Because you don't want to be too over-dependent on Kohli. And there are times when 
he will fail there are times mm-hmm. uh, every every batsman fails so uh, there are times when pe- uh, the team will require someone else to stand up and deliver and that's when the others will count well yeah to know which one is going to be the stand up I mean, just going back to his average there in t20s he averages 55 and a half and his strike rate is just over 130 it really is incredible. So just a quick little look at these um, these semifinals now. Okay, so Kohli in all his form and uh, the Indian attack is going to take on the West Indies. The other match is England versus New Zealand. Now, I want to start with England versus New Zealand because that one seems to be the more clear cut of the two. What have you made of New Zealand uh, in this tournament? Like, not a lot of hype going into the tournament around them, but yet they're the ones who seem to be making the most of these conditions. Does this just, like, yeah. surprise you? Yeah, uh, actually, that has surprised me. But the great thing is that they have they have read the conditions really well they have played in five different venues and every time they have got the conditions right it's it's difficult to drop saudi and bolt at at the same point and they they had that guts to drop according to the conditions and then it, it paid off for them uh, against india santner was santner and ish so the uh, bowled really well and and they made use of the conditions really well so I guess they they've read the conditions really well. There is a lot of thinking behind uh behind what they are doing right now in the tournament and that's helping them out. It's it's not about going uh, out there and uh going bang bang. It's about thinking and and it, and New Zealand have showed that uh, with proper thinking in T20s you can you can succeed. So, yeah, I I I think they have been the best team so far in the tournament. Well, definitely. I think in uh, England, they're there by virtue of the fact that other teams weren't as good. I mean, the Proteus, they really should have gone through in so many different ways. But again, they fell so far short. So for me, I don't see England really troubling this New Zealand team. If you look at one weakness of, of their side is they haven't scored enough runs. But they've got such great variation in their bowling attack. I don't think they don't, they're not really daunted by the fact they're not getting 160 plus every single match. For England, I think Butler has to score big. And uh, Root's got to support him. And then Jordan's got to come good with the Yorkers. So there's a lot of ifs around that for New Zealand for me. Sorry, for England. So I reckon New Zealand that one. Uh, but onto the, onto the second semi-final, right? So it's getting back to India yeah. now. The West so, in- uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, uh, England is heavy on its batting right now. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that the spinners have done well in the tournament, England spinners have been really average. So exactly. they, they have the second lowest average uh, in the tournament right now, the England bowlers, and the second worst average. So that is where they have to step up because it's all about the spinners in this tournament right now, and that's where where they have to step up. But I'll give uh, New Zealand an upper hand going yeah. into the semi-final. Well, I'm, I'm glad you confirmed that. It is about the spinners. And that's why Australia didn't deserve to go through because they decided to not bring Nathan Lyon, and I don't think they deserve to go yeah. through after that. I mean, come on, yeah. get, get the tournament with, with uh, Ashton Agar. I mean, that's just... Yeah. That's just poor planning. So, yeah, yeah. so against the West Indies, right? Now they've got, they've got good spinners. They've got good variation. And for some reason, Bravo is now in, like, he's hitting his traps. I've never seen the guy look so dangerous with the ball. Yeah. That is to me the much tougher of the, of the two semis to go on because you always think that if Chris Gale's going to bat well, then no team is ever going to contain the West Indies, but his form hasn't been amazing. Yes. He batted, he got a hundred against England. But, you know, he didn't yeah. play yesterday, which was, I'm sure, it's just strategic. They just want to leave him out. But do you yeah. think, when it comes to something like this, you've got a guy like Cody who knows what's going on. You've got a guy like Gale who will be hit and miss. Do you reckon the edge then goes towards India because they're a more sort of complete side? Or is it because semifinals, West Indies are going to keep taking the risks and they're bound to come off? Yeah, uh, I guess I guess the balance uh, uh, the balance uh, goes in India's favor uh, slightly, but but in these kind of tournaments we have seen that West Indies step up a lot, uh, and and in th- this is their favorite this is a favorite uh, format of the game, and considering the fact that they have played at Vankhede, this semi final will be, will be played at Vankhede, they'll be knowing the conditions well uh, from as of now, and Gale hit that century at at Vankhede against England. Where he just uh, he he really paced that innings well. I, I'll tell you, I was there at the Vankhede and it was it was uh, it was a treat to watch him bat that day. So I guess uh, I guess it will be India spinners versus the West Indies batsmen, and I guess I, I'll I'll be banking on Ashwin to deliver this time because he was he was poor uh, against Australia, and this yeah. time I'll, I'm banking on him to deliver because every time he he. Uh, 
he he has a bad day he bounces back back well so i guess uh, i guess i i'll go with india with uh, uh, with india uh, and uh, having them uh, giving them an upper hand so okay. yeah that yeah and uh, i guess uh, b- uh, for uh, for west indies samuel badri has been amazing uh, he's Super. been really bowling well in the power plays so he'll be the trump card for the west indies going into the match but now, just you, I, I got to bring up a point that was raised yesterday that India got to uh, the venue yesterday against Australia, and they just refused to play on the pitch that was assigned to them. Now, the ICC rules state that the pitches are essentially presented to the teams, and they get on with it. Is there is there truth in this matter? Was it just a salacious story, or is this something that the team did actually do? They just said we would prefer to do something else. No, no, no. It was just uh, just another report that came in, and that nothing of uh, nothing of that sort happened. And they 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 were playing on the same pitch that there was that was offered to them in the women's match also and in the men's match also it was the same pitch. So those were just the uh, uh, rumored stories that that had been uh, c- coming out in the morning. But yeah, okay. uh, I think I guess the pitch was uh, good enough. Uh, uh, it slowed down a bit, but yeah, then uh, it gave us a very good game. But in your mind, though, what would be the best pitch for? Because, I mean, ever since the protest got completely thrashed in that test series, people have been talking about the pitches in India and obviously suiting the home team, which, in my opinion, is completely within their rights. Because, I mean, when you go to Australia or South Africa, you're going to get grass in the wicket. There's no doubt about it. What do you reckon the best pitch is? I mean, do you go heavy on the spin? Because we saw in that first match against New Zealand, which could be another potential final here, what would be the best pitch for India to really exploit against um, the opposition? I guess I guess they will. Uh, the best pitch for them uh, is the Turners because uh, you can see that if if they get a Turner, uh, Ravindra Jadeja is unplayable on a on a ranked Turner. So the Turners are where uh, India will India will uh, be looking forward to. But uh, given the fact that one K day pitch has changed a lot uh, in the last couple of years, now it's it's a run fest there. there. You can see uh, uh, South Africa, Afghanistan had a run fest. There was a run England, fest yeah. in uh, uh, West Indies England game, and then there was a run fest in uh, England South Africa game. That thriller. So, so uh, it will be a high scoring game. I am uh, going for a high scoring game because uh, it's it's kind of a flat track. Uh, the track on which South Africa hammered uh, India. Uh, in the one day series, the 400 plus runs that they scored. Yeah. So I guess, uh, not much would change. It would be a flat, flat track. Okay. Duncan, we seem to have lost him. Is he, is he still there? Okay. Uh, internet connection. These things do happen, unfortunately, but, uh, Jigga was on a roll. So yeah, I think the more we look at it, as much as we want to see West Indies New Zealand final, uh, there's a chance that India could just sort of, they haven't played their best cricket, they really haven't, and they sort of got to this this point by arm wrestling teams and relying on Kohli. It does make for an interesting dynamic, but I, I think you always want to see the home side get into the final, but at the same time, how amazing would it be to get a West Indian team with whatever they've got to got to play with being at the, at the biggest stage because T20 is their format so I think it's a very intriguing mix as far as the four teams that we've gotten to the semi-finals it would be great to have SA in there obviously but England when you think of the last World Cup in 2015 right in New Zealand and Australia they were a complete laughing stock they were just completely crap they've really turned it around since then and it's been quite cool to see that so if they can keep on that sort of trajectory, it's good for the game. Um, it's obviously very good that you can get a team that does take a big part as IC3, whatever it is. So they've got to be in the mix. So all, all credit to England. Uh, but as, as Jacob did point out, they're quite batting heavy and their spinners are rather average. New Zealand, on the other hand, they're quite batting savvy, but they've got particularly good spinners. So it'd be very interesting to see how that sort of works out because to me, it's obvious New Zealand are going to win that one. West Indies, India, that's more of a, more of a coin toss there because, as Jigga pointed out, Samuel Badri is a particularly good spinner. Kohli and the rest of them can play spin really well. What's going to happen with the seamers? They're a wily bunch, these West Indians. And if Gale fires, boom. I think that could be like that. Jigga, we got you back? Hello? Yeah, hi, Ben. Sorry, we, we just lost you momentarily there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. um. 
Yeah, so we kind of covered the semis. The last thing I want to do before I let you go, uh, I know it's quite late in the day there for you, and you've got yeah. Sri Lanka and the Proteas not to watch because it's a pointless game. Yeah. So um, <laughs> can you run me through what's happening with the crowds. Well, it's been made of the fact that they haven't had the greatest attendance in some of the matches. Is this, again, you know, every now and again you pick up things in the media and people make the most of a non-story, much like yesterday's pitch situation. Have you think? Do you think yeah. it's been quite well supported, the tournament so far? Uh, I guess some of the games have been uh, well supported, but uh, it could have been better had uh, had the ICC not messed up with uh, uh, with the scheduling and ticketing and stuff like that. If you see, if you see uh, for the group stages, they had uh, very few stands open for the One K Day Stadium, and that that was that was just uh, just a kind a kind of a thing where the general public. Uh, can't get the tickets through and that's where you lose out on uh, on most of the fans and and sure. i guess uh, it required a better planning and better coordination and that's where uh, you could have got uh, uh, more fans in but i guess uh, the the support uh, to other teams also have ha- has been uh, pretty pretty decent uh, uh, in all the matches i've been uh, I went to the England England West Indies game. I I was at the England South Africa game, and the, the turnout was was decent enough. So I guess yeah, uh, people have been people have been loving T20s, and people have been liking what uh, the teams have been doing uh, apart from India. Well, it's that's a good thing. It really is a good thing. But ICC do need to get this this ticketing thing because there were huge concerns prior to the tournament and just seeing, as you say, seeing it play out. Yeah. Because I I, I don't for a second believe that India is tired of T20s. So I, I can't believe that for a second. <laughs> yeah, but, they 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 can't get tired of any kind of cricket, even if it's gully cricket. It's so. yeah. It's always so cool to see, and people always say you have to go to if you love cricket, you've got to go experience it in India one day. So I I have to. It's on my yeah. list and. Uh, I, you can you can show me show me the ropes around that. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'll tell you one thing. I was there at the warm up match between India and South Africa, and it for 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 not for a moment it looked like it was a practice match. It nice. was a it was a thrilling atmosphere out there at the one It was just amazing. It was it, it it turned out to be a thrilling match, and it was just amazing. You 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 felt that you have been. Uh, inside a stadium watching a World Cup final. Right. So it was just just amazing. That's very cool. All right, you're going to let you go there because I still got to talk about Russell Domingo and why he should go. And then I'm going to talk about rugby. It's a real big deal here in this country. But where can we find sure. more of you for the rest of the tournaments on social media and online? Yeah, yeah, sure. It was great uh, great uh, being on your show and uh, great talking to you. Thanks a lot. Cool. Just, just before you go, where can we find more of you if you guys listen to your writing and, and your tweets? Okay, uh, I tweet, uh, uh, from the handle at the red jigsactin and I write for four sports sports. Uh, you can, you can, uh, get, get my, uh, all my articles in my bio, uh, on Twitter and I tweet at jigsactin, at the red jigsactin. Okay, very good. All right, Jigga, thanks yeah. so much for your time, but I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, thanks a lot. Cool. All right, so next up we've got a little feature that I've got on Russell Domingo. Uh, should he stay or should he Domingo? Well, I think it's almost a rhetorical question. But while I ready myself to get through this, here's some of Chris Gale. Goes again, this time a solid blow This is him absolutely Classic slaughtering Chris England. Gale. Four, then six. Oh, look at that. It's towering. The biggest we've seen. It had six written all over it. It generally does, Nick Knight. Gotta say, the commentary hasn't been great. This whole tournament, you get some real plonkers in that commentary box. Trying to make the obvious sound sexy. Right, so, Proteus, they aren't in the semis. We had a great chat there with Jigger about the teams that are, and the Proteus are not. Today, they play a completely useless uh, dead rubber. Used rubber, call it what you want. They're playing against Sri Lanka. Four o'clock South African time in a match that they'll no doubt win by an absolute count, uh, canter, uh, and it means nothing. It means absolutely nothing, and then, uh, yeah, they'll come back to the airport, and that'll be the next thing. It, it, uh, it pains me. So the big talking point here, and, uh, I mean, I've been trolled around this the last week. I just don't think our coaching staff has the, cre- the credibility, the credentials, or anything, the integrity to be leading these guys right now. I know it's got to do with the players as well. I mean, you can't blame 
uh, Russell Domingo for the fact that um, the guy is not bowling a Yorker and said he's bowling a length ball that goes for six. You can't obviously be so critical about that. But we're talking about a greater scheme of things here. What is happening with this Proteus setup? They're declining in all forms of the game. They really are. Look at our test matches. They're useless, absolutely useless. Uh, look at our one-day team. Hardly great. Again, there's no World Cup trophy here. There's nothing. And now if you look at the T20s, it's another tournament we've gone to, and there's nothing to show for it. So what I want to do is give some facts around Russell Domingo. So when people say, should he stay or should he go? I think we need a more educated um, understanding or more educated answer around this. Because we can't just blindly have a grant and say, ah, oh, he's shit. There's more to it than that, right? So in December 2012, Russell Domingo took over the T20 side from Gary Kirsten. Now, Gary Kirsten was the, well, I'd say he was brilliant. And I'm not just saying it because I'm a fan of Gary or anything like that. I just think he brought something really special to this team. And he got the most of the players. That's what coaches do. They're essentially man managers. They're not going to be there and say, right, you need to put your foot here and hit the ball. A lot of the time, the guys know what they're doing. It's about the coaches managing the resources around and getting their players into the right frame of mind. And obviously working together with a captain and getting something out of the team. Gary Kirsten was brilliant with that. Anyway, Russell Domingo. Since 2012, December, we took over the T20 record. The Proteus have played 38 matches. They've won 21. They've lost 17. That is a win percentage of 55%, right? In ODI cricket. Sorry, just with that. T20 record, 55%. The most that they've got in the tournament there was a semi-final in the World T20 two years ago. Okay? Lost to India. ODI record, 59 played, 37 won, 20 lost, 2 no results. That is a total of win percentage under Russell Domingo from August 2013 of 62%. Now, here comes the clincher. The test record. Since Russell Domingo took over in August 2013, the Proteus have played 23 test matches. They've won 8, they've lost 8, they've drawn 7. That is a win percentage of 34.7. Are you happy with any of these percentages? Is this what a best team in the world should be okay with? Because let's face it, South Africa should be the best team in the world. They've got such amazing resources. They've got great development. You can say what you want about political wranglings. We still have a fantastic player pool. We've got great facilities. We've got great experience. We've got a a pedigree of of brilliance coming from various generations, even post-apartheid. So everything should be playing out here, right? But those percentages again, in T20 cricket, since Russell Domingo and his team took over, 55% 55% win rate. In ODI, slightly better, 62% win rate. In Test Cricket, 34.7. That is the win rate percentage there. But what are stats without some perspective, right? So to look at that, how does this compare with other teams? Well, just take the IC3 because you've got a mixture there of the good, the bad, and sort of okay. India in T20s, they top the list, right? Their win percentage in T20s is 70%. South Africa is second when you compare it against the big three. They've got 55%. England in T20s, 44%. Australia in T20s, 42%. Now, Australia also played less matches, which is kind of strange. So, when you look at SA versus the big three of cricket, in T20s, since Russell Domingo took over, they are second, just behind India. So, not so bad, huh? Not so bad, when you look at it like that. In ODIs, against the big three, since Russell Domingo took over, well, Australia topped that one. 67% win win result there, and they won the last World Cup. South Africa are the second best when it comes to ODIs under Russell Domingo and his team. A win percentage of 62%, India 53 and England down at 40%. But we all know they're on the up and up after that terrible, terrible slump during the World Cup. So now, into Test Cricket, how does Russell Domingo's tenure compare with the other big three in Test Cricket? Well, Australia in that time, 61% win result. Australia, sorry, England, 38% win percentage. India, 35 1% and South Africa, 35 as well. So they're essentially at the worst 1% of the big three in test cricket. Now, this is where the big rot sets in because, well, if you've got no confidence in the test team, as much the protest built a lot of their stuff around, it's all going to rot away from that. And that is where I kind of come to conclusion here. Russell Domingo has to go because all these things are declining. Yes, it's nice to put it in perspective that when compared to the big three in his tenure, they're the second best in T20s and second best in ODIs. But it seems like second best is all he's aiming for. It seems like second best is his pinnacle. It's never going to get any better. And that's exactly what it was for Hani Kamea and the Springboks. Okay, so if Hani Kamea can get given the chop or resign or whatever that politically correct um, determination of his contract was, or sorry, lack of renewal, 
the same has to happen here. The guy's on a downward spiral. We lost two home test series, right, against Australia, against England. They came here. We lost. We went to a World Cup down under. We didn't make the final. Now, for me, a final has got to be your basic. That's what you've got to get into. I can understand in big games, you can have a bad day. You don't win a tournament. Like, I'm, I'm being nice here. But you can't even get to a final. You can't even have a sniff at the, at the, tro- at the trophy. And now, going out in the Super 10 stage of the T20 World Cup, these are all things that are only going to get worse. They're only going to get worse. And I just don't see Russell Domingo as, as the man to go forward. Like, look at the way he's got the batting consultants coming in and out of this Proteus team. It's like the guy is collecting autographs more than he's collect, he's helping his batsmen out. It's like whoever he idolizes, he gets in there and then he can hang out with them. That's what I, I'm sensing a super fan vibe here. That's all I'm sensing. Bowling wise, Charles Langefeld never played a test match, right? Claude Henderson was all day average off spinner for provincial levels. How are these guys? trying to get the most out of our bowlers or telling people how to how to do their job at the next level. There's just nothing happening here with this Proteus team right now. There needs to be wholesale changes. And I'm not saying it because I'm just trying to be reactionary or I'm just trying to get some sort of um, headline out of this, is that there's something fundamentally broken. This appreciation of mediocrity has to end now. It really is as simple as that. And the writing is very, very much on the wall. There's nothing like you don't feel like this protest team is turning a corner. You don't feel like it's kind of about to do something really great and just needs a bit more time. It's just sliding down. It's like, uh, like I said on, on Twitter over the weekend, they might as well just call them the Rand because they're doing exactly the same as the Rand. There's nothing really happening here. It once was strong. Now it's just declining week by week and it doesn't get us anything going overseas. It gets us nothing. So. It's a bit damning. It really is. And there's no other way forward. But you look at a guy like Jeffrey Toyana, and I'm not just saying it because he is the politically correct option here. Jeffrey has done the hard yards, okay? He was a provincial player. Sure, he was never good enough to be an international player. But he took that and he went to the the Lions up here in Johannesburg. And he got together with a group of players that seem to have all kind of progressed quite well in their careers when you look at it. Um, we look at the, the, the core of, of that Lions team. He really did something with talent there. And that's what coaches do. They get the most out of talent. I mean, he was the guy who really started, uh, Quinton Cox's career. Look at him now. So he knows what he's working with there. He's got a young guy like Eddie Lee, who I think is a great spinner. He develops talent and he nurtures it. And I think he's the right sort of guy. He's I, like a no nonsense kind of guy. He seems to have a lot of authority as well, and his someone's going to take responsibility. How often have you seen in the press when Russell Domingo gets asked anything? He talks like he's on behalf of some team where he's going like, well, we'll have to assess it, or I'll see what the selectors have in mind, or, you know, we'll wait and see, um, you know, like when you get to conditions. There's, there's nothing authoritative about this guy. He just wants to be part of a group where he doesn't ultimately have to say anything too controversial or make anything that's too bold of a decision. And you can see that's coming out in the approaches and how they play. No one's really grabbing anything by the balls. No one's doing a Virat Kohli. No one's being an Afghanistan and just really giving it the full go. We need to learn from these mistakes and nothing seems to happen because we keep making the same same mistakes it means that we're completely insane and we're not learning. Get rid of this guy, Domingo. He's got no space in this team. And we need to get rid of a whole, like a whole new mindset towards a couple of things here. You know, if AB wants to manage his workload, well, he can go do that. But it doesn't mean he's a certainty anymore in this team, which is fine. That's really fine. We can all get over the fact that AB de Villas isn't the greatest anymore. That's fine. It's like finding out there's no Father Christmas. It's one of those things we as fans have to put up with. But big changes need to be made. And we need to get some inspiration back in this team. I really do. And I'm not talking about another bloody music video. Ugh, I've had enough of those things. Anyway, we've got to the stage where we need to recap what's happening in Super Rugby. So. Sneak to the Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen and it's on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Clive Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ski on CliveCentral.com. Thank you, Blades. Right, Super Rugby, week five took place over the weekend. Wow, the show really has rattled along. If you have missed any of it live, uh, or if, you know, just go back to the podcast, or if you listen to the podcast, obviously you're listening to the podcast. So, uh, yeah, no, just some, uh, sort of housekeeping towards how you digest the show every single week. So, week five of Super Rugby, and, uh, kind of disjointed, obviously, being a long weekend. You might have missed a few games, so let's just recap in the action here. The Hurricanes for the second week running got over 40 points, and uh, this time against the Kings, so they got a bonus point. Hurricanes seem to be getting kind of closer back to their best, which is always a good thing. 
last year they were so devastating they basically looked like final or they're guaranteed to finally got there looked a shoe in for the trophy and then uh, came and stuck against the Highlanders well they've already lost the Highlanders early season but you're seeing some running rugby I mean just over the weekend they ran 740 meters with the ball just to give you an idea of how dominant they were against the Kings very few kicks from hand and uh well, the Kings are only ever holding on. They've got a team that basically can only ever hold on. They haven't got the resources. And in my opinion, I think it's quite fascinating. They've even got the money to go on a tour like this. 42-20, the final score there. Chiefs versus the Force. That was next game. Chiefs again. A handsome 53-10 bonus point win. Well, it wasn't all one way, though. At halftime, the game was pretty tight. But nine tries to one in the end, the Chiefs beating the Force. The Force, well, we know they're not a great side, but they're not terrible, terrible. This Chiefs team, though, like if you want to watch just one game of rugby a week, it wouldn't be a bad day just watching these guys. The skill level, the belief, the pace, the courage these Oaks have, and like the faith in their abilities, and how a team can just be so cohesive like that. It really is quite something to see. So... Manage to watch if you manage to watch more of those games, you'll really enjoy Super Rugby a lot more. Rebels versus the Highlanders again. The Rebels aren't a crap side, but there were three tries to zero losers against the Highlanders. This was a home match for the Rebels. They gave the Sunwolves a good smack last weekend, but the Highlanders with a bonus point win. Again, it's like a lot of quality coming through here from the New Zealand teams. All of Friday's matches, you just saw it. They might have started relatively slow. The Chiefs had a bit of a hiccup. Um, well, they didn't really have a hiccup. They went to the Jaguars and they. They managed a good win there. But these teams are coming through. So Highlanders, Hurricanes, Chiefs. For me, those are your best three. I know the Crusaders will also want to be part of that. you got four really good New Zealand teams. And then you got the Blues who, well, they might not be dependable, but still, their attacking number. The Super Rugby just so suits them, man. They just get this franchise thing so, so right. And again, the results speak for themselves. 30, sorry, 27-3 Highlanders won that one. Sunwolves 27, Bulls 30. Now, the Sunbulls are an interesting team. You know, are they unpredictable or are the teams they're playing against just so up and down? Like, we saw them run the, the, the is quite close playing in Singapore. So then we thought, well, maybe they got a chance versus the Rebels. Rebels gave them a complete hiding. So you would think the Rebels, um, after losing so heavily to the Bulls, uh, in Pretoria, then the Bulls were going to give the Sunbulls a smack. Well, that's not how the game works, really. Um, Bulls 30, Sunbulls 27. Not a great bull side. Uh, they showed that against the Sharks and that one of the most dreadful non-event matches of the season. Anyway, a win's a win, and the Bulls just got one there. Cheetahs versus the Brumbies. We really thought the Brumbies were going to do a hell of a lot more against this Cheetahs side. Uh, not that the Cheetahs are so completely terrible. It's just that the Brumbies, they started the season so, so strong. And then, um, wow, they got taken to pieces against, uh, what do you call them, the Stormers. So they're going to definitely bounce back here. They managed to keep guys from punching each other, which is a good thing. 25-18 in the end. We all expected a lot more than that. They started off really, really well, but Cheetahs fought back. It was a home game for them as well. So the big thing is, what are they going to do when they get home now? You know, they started off killing everyone. They hammered the Force. They hammered the Waratahs. They hammered the Hurricanes. Are they going to be a, a, a really strong team coming back now? Well, it remains to be seen. One win, one loss from their little South African trip. So very interesting to see what the Brumbies can do from here. Because they are the best Aussie team. No doubt about that. I think the Waratahs showed uh, they're not really that great. Reds spent force. Rebels in force. They, well, they're always just the lesser guys. Sharks versus Crusaders. That was an interesting match. Mostly because the Sharks had a very flattering scoreline here. Now, I don't know if you if you are a Sharks fan and you think that they're a decent team because they were unbeaten going into this match. But the cracks were starting to show. They really were. And they couldn't beat a pretty lackluster Bulls team. And they got essentially got two tries against the run of the play against the Crusaders. So it should have been a much bigger win for the Crusaders. Still, 19-14. That's pretty good. Interesting match for me. And if you did stay up for it, you probably would have regretted it because it wasn't the most exciting. But the Jaguars at home to the Stormers. Now, when you watch the Jaguars, they lost to the Cheetahs. They lost to the Sharks. Uh, they, looked, they looked to right when they were here. Discipline was a factor, but then they went home and you think, okay, these guys are going to be at home. There's a lot to play for here. They're definitely going to be a, like a, a force to be reckoned with. But they lost to the Chiefs. Narrow match there. And, you know, if they just held, held their lines towards the end, they could have won that one, which would have been a huge, huge result for them. So going into this one, I really thought the Stormers, they would have been so jaded after two very, very severe matches and then obviously the travel. But good on the Stormers, though. Coming through, winning that one 13-8. Chesson Colby with a, 
I mean, watching this guy play is just fascinating. He's so tiny, but he does so much. He punches above his weight times by three. So they got one over the Jaguars there. So now the Jaguars have to go on the road and uh, two home games, two losses. Just more news on the Stormers there. Damien de Allender will be back for the next match, but uh, Yannifer Mark injured his neck. Um, so confirmed, he's out for three months. And then Dylan Lades, he basically pulled the Andre Pollard. His knee buckled and uh, he'll be out for nine months. So the Stormers and the injury worries, their knee injuries. Ugh, so concerning for them. Final match of the weekend wasn't great. It was the Reds versus the Waratahs. Everyone kind of thought the Waratahs were going to win that one, and win they did. But 15-13 is hardly a handsome scoreline. The Waratahs are now third on the Aussie Conference, even with that win. And you've got to think, the way they're playing right now, they're not really going to get much higher than that. They seem to be a bit of a blunt force. They've still got some really good players. I mean, this is a team that's, that won the tournament um, two years ago. They beat the Crusaders in that final with that last-ditched effort from halfway. So it's, it's kind of frustrating if you're an Aussie fan, if you're definitely a Waratahs fan, because the Reds aren't great. So if you can't get a bonus point against them, you're dropping big points in your conference, which doesn't help. And that was round five. So if you look at the, the way the log's looking right now, the Stormers have gone into the South African group as the top team. Now, I know this log thing is difficult to kind of get through, so I'm just trying my best to get you up to speed with it right now. Because there's African Conference A and African Conference B. But let's forget about that. Let's just look at the big African Conference right now. Stormers at the top, okay? They're in the qualifying position. That's 18 points. They're top of the log. Sharks, second on 16. So they're also in the qualifying position. The Lions have one game less. They had a bye over the weekend. So they're on 13. So you, you look, they are going to definitely get above the Sharks. And they could get above the, the Stormers, depending on what happens next. So Bulls after that in fourth, the Jaguars in fifth, Cheetahs, of course the Jaguars and the Sunwolves are in the African pool as well, despite not being African. Cheetahs sixth, Sunwolves seven, Kings eighth in the Australasian group. The Chiefs top that one on 19 points, then they got the Brumbies in 17, the Highlanders after that in 18, Hurricanes followed by the Crusaders. I mention all those teams because all five of those teams, they're in qualifying position, and rightly so, the Australasian pool does need more qualifying positions. So you basically get yeah five from there and then three from the South African group. Full value there, the fact that there is um, four out of the five Australasian top teams are New Zealanders. We mentioned it. They're really, really good. Quick look at this week's fixtures then. Friday, Highlanders versus Force 835 is going to start you off. Lions versus the Crusaders at seven on Friday. Lions need to get a good bonus point win there to get to the top of the African group which they fully deserve. Then Saturday, Blues versus the Jaguars. The Jaguars the first time in New Zealand. I'm predicting red cards, maybe even or yellow and red cards there. Brumbies versus the Chiefs, 10.45. Kings versus the Sunwolves. Here's the big one for the Kings. If they were going to win a game at home, this could be the one. Five minutes past five. Go on, Kings. And then Bulls versus Cheetahs wrapping up on Saturday. Quarter past seven. And then another Sunday match. Waratahs versus the Rebels. Five minutes past eight. That pretty much wraps up the Bounce Show for this week. Thank you, Duncan, for coming in. And to my guest, Jigo, of course, if you didn't get the whole thing, get the podcast either on thebounce.ca.ca or on clitcentral.com. There is a bounce page there, so you can catch every single one of the shows. And if you have missed out on anything and you want to find out anything more about the cricket, go on to thebounce.co.za. I've written that whole article about Russell Domingo going, which is definitely needs to happen. There's also the Proteus fan album article if you want a bit of light humor get that as well as recapping the rugby and the sports crush from last week miriam gosner you definitely want to look at that follow me on twitter at follow the bounce and of course catch me back next week or catch me back tomorrow on the gareth cliff show monday right here sorry tuesday morning right here 6 a.m on cliff central catch you back next week this is cliffcentral.com